ANZ Chairman David Gonski has announced he will retire at this year's annual meeting, handing the chair to Paul O'Sullivan. He spoke with Blue Notes about the decision, the challenges ANZ has faced, and how the priorities of boards are shifting. Thanks very much, David, for the, the opportunity to talk to you. you. You've announced your retirement from the ANZ board, um, in, in effect, for the second time. You've had two stints on the ANZ board earlier this century and then uh, for the last years. Can you talk us through the timing of this particular one? Well, Andrew, I think the first thing I'd say is I've been on the board um, now as chairman for six and a bit years. And when I go in two months, it'll be six and a half years. And I think that's about the right period um, in, in the circumstances. But most particularly, the reason I chose now is I'm very happy with where ANZ is. I believe that we have a very talented management team now in place. And I think the CEO, Shane Elliott, is outstanding. And I think the team he's now got together around him, together, I might say, with the great number of people that work in the ANZ team, are very good. I think that our um, concept of simplifying our structures and our operations so that uh, we can improve what we do for our customers and indeed in turn maybe improve our profits as well is well now in place and that management have done a great uh, job of that. Finally, I believe that we have put good steps in place to improve our governance and particularly around matters impacting our reputation. It just seems, Andrew, now's the right time. The bank is in good stead, ready to go to its next chapter. And I think bringing in new blood at this point in the chair's seat is the right thing to do. And the point that we're we're still really in the midst of a a once-in-a-century global pandemic and uh, the entire economy, you know, our social lives have been in upheaval. You, you didn't think perhaps you needed to delay a year or anything like that? Oh, I thought about that in great depth, and I don't want to, um, you know, leave people in a time of difficulty. But I believe now that we've sadly been in this pandemic since probably the beginning of March. By the time I go, that'll be eight months. Uh, roughly of it. Um, and I think that uh, uh, we're well um, well supported. We're in good shape. We've got a strong balance sheet, good staff. Um, I think the ability to work remotely has been shown to be excellent and that we should be proud of that as a bank. And um, so I think that, uh, you know, if you can make excuses, Andrew, to stay forever in the position of chair because it's a great honour but I think that it's the right time. And my successor, uh, Paul O'Sullivan, I think has got all the qualities that you'd want uh, to lead in a situation such as we're in. Indeed, can you talk us through then, because in your time as chairman, you've you've refreshed the board on an ongoing basis and succession's obviously always been one element of that. Can you explain how it came to be Paul? He's the newest person on the board, joined at the start of the year. What was, the, what was the thought process there? Well, the first thing I would say is I think we can be proud of the fact that we actually not only had a person that could succeed me on the board, 
but there were probably two or three others who could do it as well. When you look at a board, often you have to look at how long people have been on that board. That's you know quite relevant, including for me, uh, determining when I should go. And I think that the board got together and they were asked uh, you know, who they felt was the right person of those who wanted to do it. We discussed it. There was no acrimony and no animosity. The board is, a, is you know, very happy with the selection that's been made, and we're all ready to uh, assist Paul, including myself who's going, to do really well in his new role. And you've talked about how you believe the balance, not only on the board ranks, but in the executive ranks, is very good. You're very proud of that. Does Paul have any immediate challenges with the structure of the board, with the, the number of people on the board, or, or challenges that you've handed over to him? Well, I suppose you could be cynical and say, I've given him a problem. He's got to find a replacement for my seat, because I'll be gone. And our board is not a big board, and uh, it's up to Paul but I would be advising him to replace at least me. And then over the years, as you probably know, if you look back at history, our board has usually um, been either the size it is now or one bigger. So it'll be up to him. But that would be his first challenge to find good people. And I'm pretty confident he will do that. Uh, he's got a very good uh, uh, list in his mind and he's, he's right on the job. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing that um, he will do, and I know he'll do it well, is he will have to um, make uh, decisions and so on, whether he wants to run the board the way I did. And by the way, each person runs a board in a different way, and that's a good thing. Boards should not get into a rut that you do it exactly the way the predecessor did, etc. I have every confidence Paul will do this well, and I think the board is you know, probably excited that uh, Paul is coming and uh, they'll see what he, what he brings. Leaving aside this extraordinary, you, you've had the, the two periods on the ANZ board, two, two quite different periods, although in the, in the first one, the ANZ strategy was being developed and in the, the Asia strategy was being developed. In the second one, you've um, seen through a modification of the Asian strategy, but how different were those two periods for ANZ? Oh, I think that those, they, they were very different periods. The first period that I had um, was a period, by the way, where the Asian strategy wasn't actually developed that much. We, it was only in the last year of my five-year stint that we were looking at that. What happened, which was a big event in that period, was that we bought the National Bank, or the Green Bank, as they called it, uh, in New Zealand. This was a very far-sighted, in my opinion, decision, which was driven by John McFarlane, who was the then CEO, and the chairman, Charles Good. And I think they did a, a very good... Uh, they did a good deal and a very far-sighted deal, making us a very strong bank in New Zealand. And I think we can be very proud of that step. In terms of the second uh, of my two stints, well, obviously, in between, there was the GFC. And I wish I could say to you and those listening that I knew there would be a GFC, and uh, therefore, I stepped off the board for five or six years. 
That's not true. That was just happenstance. Uh, but when I came back, the GFC had definitely left a mark on the bank, as it had, by the way, on the whole financial industry. Um, there was a much more developed strategy in Asia when I came back. And by the way, a strategy that I thought was a very good move to start to look internationally. And then, of course, as you know, in the last few years, we have refined that strategy. I'm most grateful for the fact that it was well developed, um, but obviously with excellent uh, and I think uh, good steps taken by our present CEO in looking at what we do well in our various countries of operation and seeking to do better within uh, lesser purview. Indeed, you, you talk about how simplification is one of the things that uh, has uh, that Shane Elliott has, has done very well that you obviously concurred with. The bank is is a more focused bank. It's a smaller bank in many ways with a, a more sort of focused ambition. Is that the way of banking in the future? I think so. I think you're absolutely right that uh, complex banking when you are a large commercial operation like we are, is very difficult. And I think that um, I should say to you, Shane was the first who coined the concept that we will be less complex, more simple in the way we do things. We'll refine our products and so on. I've noticed I think at least three of the big four have used exactly the same words, but Shane was the first. And he has, in my opinion, walk the talk. We've done a lot of uh, simplification and I think that in the future that will stand us and other banks who seek to do that in very good stead. And you did manage to dodge the GFC but you didn't dodge the Royal Commission which was in Australia anyway you know almost as seismic as, as the GFC. How much did that change the direction of, of banking and and the way you saw the role of boards for banks? Well, let's talk firstly about banking as a whole. There's no doubt that the Royal Commission, and I will also say the coming of the Royal Commission, because it wasn't born just on one day. It was threatened, cajoled, and discussed for some years before it came. I think the effect of that, which was, by the way, a good thing, made us a little bit introspective in what we were doing, made us have a look at, have we lost uh, um, you know, really uh, our love and focus on our customers? Are we uh, uh, doing the right thing each time? Are we making mistakes and then perpetuating them, you know, rather than knowing we've made a mistake, fixing it and never doing it again? So I think it had a very good effect in that. It was a tough period, particularly I might say, for those of our staff who were called before it. And by the way, they were exemplary, amazing people. Um, I still remember watching them uh, from my office and being so impressed that we had people like that who could be questioned and answered so brilliantly, including our senior. Um, and so I was very taken by the performance of the ANZ people. So we went through that. And obviously, it left a mark, and we had a lot of remediation to do. But good lessons will flow from that. I think we've learned a lot, and I think our self-assessment is extremely good, which in turn resulted in simplification 
and so on. As to the way the board operated, it's an interesting thing whether the board has actually changed. There's no doubt that the board spends more time now than when I first joined the bank in the early 2000s on regulatory matters. Um, I'm not sure whether that's good or bad. There is no doubt that this board, in my opinion, is a very good board, a hard-working board. More is required of it than the board I joined in 2001. And I am amazed how my colleagues are always available. At the drop of a hat, they will come to a meeting, always well-read on the subject, and always prepared to give the, their thinking on the subject. As to what boards are doing, yes, there's a lot of regulation. Um, I think for a while there was quite a lot of introspection, uh, but I'm pleased to tell you that I believe the board is now, with the help of management, looking to our strategy, looking outwards a bit, and I think the balance is starting to be correct where it should be between regulation, remediation, and actually running the business and looking to the future. We're not quite there yet, but we will get there. And even leaving aside the, the increased burden with compliance and with regulation and the way you're working through that, we've also seen in this last decade an expansion of the remit of boards in terms of um, ESG, for example, environmental, social and governance issues, diversity issues. What traditionally may have been set aside as, as, um, uh, as, as not core sort of shareholder issues, now they very much are. How do you see that evolving for boards and their responsibilities? The first thing I would say is I believe very strongly in the non-executive model of directorships that we have in Australia. In America, they have a slightly different formulation and other countries have an even more different formulation. The reason I like the non-executive board structure is that it allows people to contribute what they bring from outside and hopefully bring various concepts and indeed advice and indeed you know, solid ideas to the table that aren't internally generated. And this is the way I think of the future, that all of us have to realize that in the community, we have obligations. And by the way, that's not just an obligation as a group, as, a, as ANZ, but an obligation on each of us as individuals, both within the company and as we run our own lives. And I think the non-executives, together with the executives, have an obligation to steer the company for the benefit not just of shareholders, and that's important, obviously, but also for our staff and for society generally. And this means that ESG, or whatever you like to call it, becomes a core part of what you're doing. And I think the board has a role to play to help management work out you know, the sweet spot of what is important and what isn't. How much do you put in terms of effort into that uh, as opposed to other things? Because everything in life is a trade-off. But in the ultimate, if we ignore ESG, we will be ignored and rightly by our community and even worse, we may not be able to do business. But on the other hand, if we embrace this, we're actually showing that we're human. We're actually putting important things towards, uh, important emphasis towards 
important things in our lives. And I think that makes it great to be on the board, great to be a member of staff in such a company. And in the end, shareholders will be proud too. So in, in essence, I mean, in the current debate, it's, it's, uh, it's talked of in terms of stakeholder rather than shareholder capitalism. So stakeholder capitalism is something that, that you see as the future that you would support. I think it's not in the future. I actually think it's happening now. I think that uh, most of our shareholders also have ESG requirements placed on them, particularly the big ones, the big institutions, the big super funds, and so on. So if we exhibit bad practices, they won't invest in us. Mm. And you know what? They'd probably be right so to do. But what I love about ANZ, and it was the same in my first stint as it is in the second, that we are a group of people who do have an openness of mind to actually, you know, looking at what our society is to putting some of the ideas of ESG as paramount in some circumstances and very important in others. And I've always been impressed with ANZ from the very first day in the early 2000s that there is an openness to this thinking and long may it stay because that openness will not only give us that license that people talk about to, uh, you know, a corporate license or social license as some mm. people call it, to do business, that will be an inspirational place to work and I think a great place to deal with either shareholder or indeed as customer. And you, you mentioned the National Bank of New Zealand transaction, but when you think of the, the two periods you've been on the board, are there moments that stand out that, that you'll remember well after your tenure? Well, I think that uh, I'm very proud, as you can probably tell, uh, of being involved in appointing Shane Elliott as our CEO. I mean, we had him already as CFO. I'm not sure that everybody uh, in the community and so on saw him as the CEO, and we did as a board, and we got it right. And I will not forget that period. I shall not forget a few people that needed me to talk to them outside the bank to explain what we were doing, and I don't think any of them feel that we got it wrong. Um, and, you know, in fact, the proof is in the pudding and he's done a wonderful job. I think that I will remember without doubt how even through the difficult times of the Royal Commission, how the board of this group worked, how we, brought, we worked, in my opinion, seamlessly. And I don't remember, I've got to be honest, a severe disagreement around the board table. Many disagreements on what we thought but always put in a constructive way and no one left the table. In those days, we used to sit around the table pre-COVID. Um, no one left the table feeling upset or whatever that their view wasn't at least listened to. And it's been a very strong board and one uh, you know, I'll take with me. The final point I'd like to say is I am amazed at how many great people work at ANZ. I've met many of them, and there are many I haven't met. But there's a consistency at ANZ of wonderful people. And I just think it sets us apart from other organisations, and long may that be the case. Well, thank you, David. I'm, in my former life at the Financial Review, you were um, always on our, our power lists of most connected people. And uh, I've noted your 
comments on the dangers of retirement. So I'm assuming you're not going to retire, but we can only hope that you stay as connected in the business community as you've always been, and, and good luck for the future. Well, let me leave it with no doubt. I don't want to retire. I want to keep doing things. But my leaving the bank is not because I want to retire. It's because I think now is a good time for there to be a new chair. And the new chair, let me assure you, will be excellent. Well, thanks again, David. All the best. Thank you, Andrew. See you now. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes. This podcast was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Blue Notes is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.